Hi there, I'm Eric. And I'm Deborah. And Saturday night at Swinkoover, we'll be live at 8 p.m. Come join us. Check it out. And if you'd like to ask us a question, submit that question online through our website, thenakedtruthwcs.com slash live. And if you're going to be at the event, we may invite you to come up, ask it, join us for a conversation for a bit. Check it out. The Naked Truth Live, Swinkoover, Saturday night, 8 p.m. Hope to see you there. Bye. Welcome to The Naked Truth, real talk about West Coast Swing. My name is Eric. And I'm Deborah. And today we are talking about the elephant that's always in the room when it comes to our dance competitions. Now, in previous episodes, we've touched upon different aspects of competition. We've talked about routines. We've talked about judging. We've talked about swing content plenty. We've talked about how competitive our scene is. And on our episode with Divi on mental health, we talked about how competition affects us on a personal level. But there's still plenty to unpack and plenty we haven't talked about. And we wanted to dedicate a single episode to this topic to really dive in deep. Um, there's a lot to talk about, a lot of different types of competition. And we want to talk about how competition is a presence within our community, how it affects us, and how competitors uh, can get involved and uh, how to approach competitions. But let's begin kind of at the at the top um, mm-hmm. with looking at how how our scene even got to be so competitive. Um, mm. Right before we started <clears throat> recording, uh, Deborah and I started talking about this, and I was saying to Deborah how, for me, um, I think I noticed probably about five or six years ago, I had been off the scene for a couple of years, and I came back on it. Just it seemed way more intense all of a sudden, um, and I started competing back in two thousand three. So that was a long time ago. And it just, I don't know. Um, yeah, there were competitions, but it just wasn't the same level of intensity. When did you, Deborah, start noticing that our scene became way more competitive? Well, that's a loaded question. Um, I feel like as, as we incorporated more divisions in West Coast Swing, meaning novice, intermediate, advanced, all-star, and we started really talking about points and things that people get to chase because they have a goal, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we became more competitive because honestly, this dance was originally, you know, a social dance first and a competitive dance second. And the only competitions we really had were uh, classic and showcase, you know, invitational, you know, Jack and Jill or champions, Jack and Jill or strictly swing. And maybe like an open, um, open division for uh, a Jack and Jill or a Strictly. So we didn't have that many, that many divisions. And I think as divisions became more right. and we had more events, uh, people became more competitive. Mm-hmm. And then we had, we only had a couple of tiers in Jack and Jill. We only had three and now we're up to, what is it? Seven now? It's yeah, like six. I don't even know. Yeah. Yeah. It's like six, <laughs> yeah. Me neither. There's like, you know, six or seven tiers now. And, so there's more goals to reach. So because right. people become more competitive um, to get those points. And competition's not a bad thing. Right. You know, I think competition's a good thing. I just think some people, you know, define their abilities in dance be- based on competition. Yeah, I think that. And we've talked about how competition affects our social hierarchy. Right. So people feel like how they do and competition affects 
their social dancing experience. And that's not a good thing for everybody. Um, no. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think competition uh, is a is a great motivator, right? A lot of people really work hard on their dancing and get better because they're striving to succeed in competition. Um, but yeah, too much of a good thing, right? It's, it's excessive. Um, at what point did you start noticing? So when I started competing, there was, uh, novice, intermediate and advanced. Right. And then the invitational or, or pro or champion, Champions. whatever it was called, depending on the event. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, for a long time, I was like, what's the difference between champions and invitational? Why is it sometimes invitational, sometimes champion? Um, it was never <laughs> Do you want to know the really difference? clear. Well, I mean, I understand that invitational should be you invited people as opposed to champions, which was like open to anybody who was qualified for that level. And there was a prelim and a final for our champions, whereas right. an invitational, you're invited and that's it. And for... Because I don't think everybody understands what champion is or how it came up. Um, mm-hmm. I know rules at events used to say you had to place like top five in either a NASD division or classic or showcase. Is that right? Yes. To qualify for champions. Right. But now like Boogie's rule is you have to have made a certain amount of money mm. and that qualifies you as a champion. Right. So now it's more of a professional as opposed to like having succeeded in a NASD division. Right. And I think it, it differs between event to event. And, you know, there are some people that think they're champions and they're really not, but that's <laughs> right. another story. <laughs> sure. Um, right. So, yeah. So there used to be these three events. I know when I first made it into advanced, uh, there was no all-star. Yeah. Right. So, like advanced was the division to be in. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but at some point that division grew so much that they created all-star. Um, right. and then there was that to work towards. And now like all stars getting jammed with all sorts of people who are moving up quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so all star, I think was created about 2006 or seven. Is that right? Somewhere I'm not really sure um, about the date. I think that's where it started happening. Cause that's where I started actually making finals <laughs> because people started <laughs> moving up. And I was like, Oh good. I can make it into the finals now. Um, so 10 years ago, there were these divisions. Right. But there weren't as many events. There weren't as many Co- opportunities to go chase oh. points or earn points. Right. Correct. I mean, there was still like 20, maybe 30 events max. Yeah. Right. And we didn't have the overseas events that we have now. You know, sure. that 10 years ago is when things were starting to, you know, blow up overseas. There were more events overseas and, and that was st- just starting to happen. But, not the way it is now. I mean, what did John say? We have 118 World Swing Dance Council yeah, events. Something like that. Yeah, that's yeah. a lot. It is a lot. Um, but I feel like the proliferation of events was a big factor because sure before we had so many events, and we talked about this with John. Um, you know, a lot of weekends were just learning weekends. They were workshop weekends where you'd go study with a pro or two and then go social dancing at night, maybe have a Jack and Jill, a local Jack and Jill. But it wasn't about going to events for points, right? right. There were other options. Um, and it is interesting to me that, you know, after the, I guess it was after the recession of 2008, like there was just all of these events popping up. Um and I wonder, do you think that these events popped up because there was demand mm. for points, right? There, no. there was demand for more competition. 
Like, why did more competition events arise in the first place? And excluding, like, internationally, because we had an explosion of them here in the States as well. I think more events popped up because more people wanted to, you know, think they think that having an event is a, a moneymaker, number one, or they think that an event can put them on the map as a person, you know, get to get well known. Uh, I don't I don't know that, you know, there are there are lots of people who run events because they're community based and they really want to build mm-hmm. the community. And then there are other people who run events because they want notoriety. Right. And so I have talked with people like Tom Paderna, who we had on the show. Um, Mm -hmm. but others locally, the question of, do we have a competition at like our local dance? Right. Um, because there's the trade-off of having a competition. One usually draws people who are competition focused, which means they tend to invest more in their dancing and be higher level dancers. There's correlation there. Um, so it tends to draw them out, which is great, but it is also fostering a more competitive atmosphere. Right. When you have a competition mm-hmm. at a local dance, it's saying like competition is important or uh, competition is where the cool kids are. Um, it can do that. I'm not saying it does in every case. Um, and so there's always this debate of like, do we have a competition? If we do, how often? Right. And like, how do we balance that with social dancing? Because competition takes away from that. Sure. And I say all of that because as we look at events that have become more competition focused, we've also been saying at a, at a national or international level, mm-hmm. you know, by creating more of these events that are focused on competition and giving people the opportunity to win and compete, we're saying this is important. Um, this is, this is a big part of our community and our identity right. as dancers, right? You know, other dance scenes, and we've talked about this, but other dance scenes, um, maybe with the exception of ballroom and correct me if I'm wrong, but ballroom is, has a lot of events that are around competition, but things like Lindy don't, I mean, they have, yes, right. they have events, but they also have <clears throat> still a lot of Lindy exchanges and just social weekends. Right. Um, our dance has become much more focused on competition than a lot of our like sister dances. Well, also, like I said, I, I think the other thing that arose, I'm going to back up for a minute. I think the other reason why more events uh, came up was because, um, we didn't have enough events in other regions for people to go to. Most events took place in, say, California or Texas. Um, and people recognized that there was a need for events, say, on like on the north northeastern seaboard so that, you know, people didn't have to travel as much and they could still interact and learn the dance and, and have, you know, workshops available right. or competitions available um, <clears throat> for them. Yeah, like you said, community building at a local level. Like it, right. it energizes your community. It brings pros right. in. It brings other people outside to your community. Right. So, uh, you know, I think competition was another way of building community, mm-hmm. you know, to give people uh, a goal or um, something to be excited about or a way to um, hone your, your competition skills. You don't have to be great at it, but... If you try it, it'll, you know, you'll move further um, in your skill set because it's a different skill set to compete than it is to right. um, social dance. Mm-hmm. Um, but you mentioned something about, can you back up again? What you said something about ballroom. <laughs> oh, just what? looking at other communities and and our other communities as competition oriented as right. we are. Yeah, they're not. Although uh, ballroom, is, I always say ballroom is a competition dance first and a right. 
social you know, social dance. dance. Yeah, it's not like you know you go to a top forty club and you're like, hey, let's samba, <laughs> right? But you can go to a top forty club and you're like, hey, let's you know, let's West Coast if you want to, right? Um, so, um, well, and ballroom calls Lindy and West Coast like the social dances, right? They do we're social call it. first, right? Which I think is important. I think it's important mm-hmm. to be social um, first, and I and I think the other thing that happened was is that you know. People recognize that no one's going to pay $85 or more um, just to social dance and take a couple of workshops throughout the weekend. Do you know what I mean? They can social dance at their local bar for 10 bucks if they want to. Right. Or at their studio if they want to. So they need, there needed to be something else to draw people in right. to come to the events. You know, if you're going to pay $85 or more, yeah, not only do you get, you know, social dance until six o'clock in the morning, and not only do you get some workshops, but you get to, yeah, we have all these competitions, you know, for you too. Right. Um, and I think that's what happened, um, as well. Look, I'm a firm believer. I think they're all important. I think social dancing is important. I think competition is important. I think just people get caught up in one or the other and allow one or the other to define who they are as a person. And, you know, dancing is supposed to bring us joy and um hone our social skills hone Mm -hmm. our competitive skills but it's not what defines us as a person right and i think people connect with with it that way yeah um i lost totally lost my train of thought (laughs) it was just there now it's gone don't you love when that happens it was right there it's gone it was right there go get it find it can't find it nope it's gone Oh, I'm so See sorry. R.I.P. thought. Hmm. Um, <laughs> one of those days. I feel so bad. So at what point then did you notice, like we had more events arising, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and more competitions arising. Mm-hmm. Was it like the frog being boiled slowly or... Did you notice all of a sudden, like there was one year when it just seemed like people were way more intense about competitions? No, I feel it was the frog boiling slowly. And then once it came to a ball, you were like, oh, my God, what just happened? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't think it was, you know, one one instant moment where you're like, oh, my God, it just blew up. I think it was gradual, gradual, gradual. And as everything's percolating, you're like, oh, my God, we have so many competitions all of a sudden. Yeah. And everyone's just, you know competitive hungry and point hungry and it's a lot yeah it stresses me out sometimes (laughs) (laughs) well and again it's it's challenging when uh like you said people define their themselves and their self-worth or the worth of others based on competitive success um and like you said it's a different skill set so let's talk about that a bit um competition is a different beast and it yes. is a different skill set. People have to recognize that it's a visual thing. Mm-hmm. Right. So how do you think about the different skills between social dancing and competition? Well, I feel like, you know, because our dance is a social dance first, right? We always say it's social dance first and competition dance second. When you're social dancing, you have the, um, the ability for more spontaneity and let's say to be organic because, um, there are no other distractions like the audience and the lights being really bright and, um, you know, other competitors that you have to dance 
against. Mm-hmm. Um, we're in competition. You, you know, you have to worry about, well, what song am I going to get? Like, you don't get to choose the song you want. In social right. dancing, you walk out on the floor and you're like, hey, you want to dance? I like the song. Yeah. So, so competition, you don't get to, t- you know, choose the song you want. And then Jack and Jill, you don't get to choose the partner uh, you may want to um dance with and now we have the the lights involved everything's so so bright it's you know which puts another added pressure because everyone can see what's happening you know what i mean no hiding um um and then you have then you have these seven judges who are standing out there looking at you and judging you and deciding whether you're good enough or what you're doing is good enough to put you in you know a semi-final or a final um so it's a different mindset um and a, and a different skill set. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, if you ha- you have to recognize, you know, the skill set that's required for social dancing and the skill set that's required for, you know, competition. And, and I feel like skill set competition for Jack and Jill and Strictly Swing is a different skill set competition for Classic and Showcase. It's a different mindset. They're both right. competitive, but, you know, completely different. Um, and if you don't have the ability to you know, recognize that when you're competing, especially in a Jack and Jill or a strictly swing that it's out of your hands. Mm-hmm. The only thing that you can control is yourself and that's it. And it's seven people's opinion. And at the end of the day, you know, today you'll win and next week you won't. And today you'll place and, you know, next week you won't. And it doesn't change the fact that after that happens, most people won't remember it the next day when they get up and the next day when you get up or when you leave competition, you have to still pay your bills and, you know, you know, go to work. If you, if you have a regular nine to five job or deal with other family issues that you've been dealing with. And so the dancing is, is meant for us to, or for me anyway, even though it's my job, job and my profession and my passion, it's also meant, you know, as a way to escape, you know, the, the ins and outs of, uh, of everyday life. Right. Those weekend events. Um, Yeah, it's interesting that you talk about, um, you know, competition and all the the circumstances. And we've we've talked a bit about those before. Like, you know, Brandy said, like, the only thing you control is what you wear. Like, that's pretty much it. Um, And yeah, the fact that in a social dance, I usually get to ask the partner to the song I want, right? Right. Um, Or a partner. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, I think a big part of why we're so competitive is the nature of how competitions are judged in that you're, you're being compared to other people. Like it's a, it's a comparison as you, mm-hmm. you're, you know, whether you make finals or not depends on the other people out there. Right. And how mm-hmm. you, how the judges think you compare to those mm-hmm. other people. And I struggled with competition for a long time. I still do because uh, when I learned to dance, I learned from a teacher where it was focused on social dancing and it was about you, your partner and the music. Right. And that was it. And so it was about, is my partner smiling? You know, did I have a fun Mm -hmm. dance with that partner? Mm -hmm. And it was not about, you know, how do I look to an audience or to judges? Um, And so when I think about the difference between social dancing and competition, uh, competition is performative, right? It's performing for an audience, that audience, including judges, Right. Um, if it's spotlight, then it's judges, my peers and the, you know, the, the crowd. Right. Um, but having to perform means that 
Dance, monkey, dance. Yeah, right? (laughs) There are certain things that I have to do to entertain, especially at the higher levels. You know, at a lower level, that's not expected. And I know there are Mm -hmm. some people who don't like that there are spotlight for novice and intermediate because Mm -hmm. are those really the skills they should be focusing on? Probably not. Not ready for it yet anyway. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's that part, the showmanship and the presentation. There's also the fact that it's just visual. Like the judges are not dancing with you. We are using visual... Um, heuristics to see how you feel and how you're partnering, right? Right. Like you can have a great dance and the partner, and this has happened to me plenty of times where like, I've had a great dance. I've even placed. And then I walked off the floor and people are like, how was it? And I was like, God, it felt terrible. No, exactly. Right. And it, but, oh, but that was a great dance. It was entertaining. It was musical. It was right. Um, How it feels and what it looks like are two different things. I always joke, kind of half joking that I would love to run a contest one day where uh, instead of a point system, mm-hmm. you audition, like you dance with judges and then they sort you. So like, if I dance with you and you're like, you're novice, sweetie, like you just don't belong in advance, you know, based right. on how you feel and how you create a dance with somebody. Um, mm-hmm. Because it it does, it does matter. And, and a lot of times, um, you know, the other part of it is that, and Robert Royston, I know has talked about this in different, in different talks that he's given, but the fact that competitions in prelims, you're being judged as an individual, it changes right. the ball game. Um, right. And it's not that judges aren't looking at your partnership skills in prelims, some mm-hmm. more than others, of course, but mm-hmm. it's about how you do as an individual. And so to get better at competition, you need to focus on self and like your own, how you present yourself to judges mm-hmm. and to an audience. And that means that we get a lot of people who are more, uh, focused on showing themselves off and not the partnership. Um, it, it changes the dynamic, you know, cause again, when I learned to social dance, it was about making my partner feel good. That was what it was all about. Did yeah, my partner listen, smile? If you, if you, I feel like if you concentrate on your partner, um, you will show yourself Absolutely. well, cause it, cause it shows good, you know, connection and teamwork. Uh, skills. When I see someone trying to outdance their partner, I'm like, ah, I, even though you, you might be being judged individually, um, you're still not dancing by yourself. It's two people dancing together. For sure. So you're out for me. Like, yeah. I won't put you in the final because. I, yeah, I'm the same way. Yeah. I and mean, we've talked about judging, and I just, I don't think enough judges take the time to look at. At least that's my guess anyway, because I can see somebody who moves great. Maybe they do big flashy stuff, but mm-hmm. how many times have we seen a final where you get the, you know, really engaging, energetic, showy dancers and they mm-hmm. just don't partner well and then they crap out. Okay. Yeah. You know, um, it happens a lot. And, and I, I wrote about this on my blog because I thought I was just thinking about it a lot, but I thought it was relevant to some of the conversations I had with some of my students, which is, you know, when we look at people who do well in competition, mm-hmm. um, you know, they may look good. They may not make you feel good. No, agreed. Right? Not to say that they can't. There are plenty of right. people who are great in competition who are sure. also great social dancers and great, Absolutely. you know, make you feel good. But, yes. you know, it's like you said, different skill sets. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we, I think part of the reason that the competition is problematic um, you know, despite all its benefits is that people mm. overvalue how, how it looks like out there on the floor. 
mm-hmm. and, and say like, well, they did well in competition, so they must be a great partner. They must be a great social dancer. And then we extend it to like, well, they must be a great teacher and a great judge and all these other yeah. things, right? Like that's we not conflate, necessarily. Yeah, yeah, we conflate all of those rather than recognizing like, wow, they were great in that competition and recognizing that social dancing is a different thing and judging is a different thing and teaching is a different thing. Yes, for sure. You know, they, can they be related? Absolutely. And again, yes. there are plenty of people who are great competitors and great teachers and great social dancers. Right. Uh, um, yes. But it's just, it's not a given. Um, Agreed. And so, yeah, I, I wrote about how, you know, what would you rather have? Would you rather have somebody who looks good or somebody who makes you feel good? Right. And yeah, ideally it's, all... it's both. Right, but um, so for some people it, it might be one, but for in general it should be both. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, like, like, just like I said, sometimes you're in competition and it feels great, and then you watch it and it looked ugh, mm-hmm. or, or vice versa. Yeah, you know what I mean? It looked great and it felt um, terrible. But when you have both, I think that's when the, that that magical dance happens. Oh, that's for the sure. dance. You know, that's the dance where all the stars aligned and. You know, that's the dance that is in the top five or, or, or wins for the most part, ho- hopefully when everything, you know, goes well. Cause there are times when even when everything goes well, you don't place or win. <laughs> right. Which is, which happens, happens yeah. too. Um, and it, you know, like you said, when you are doing well as an individual, mm-hmm. that means that you should be partnering well. And then you create right. more magic with your partner. Right. I think um, it's important to understand that you know in order to be really really i feel to be really good at this dance you have to be able to check your ego at the door it's not about you it's about us it's about the two of us right um and you know i often say like i can i can tell you know if someone's an us person in their life just by the way that they dance Mm -hmm. you know there are people that are great listeners in life which make them great listeners you know, on the dance floor. And there are people that all they do is like to talk and they don't want to listen to anyone else. And mm-hmm. they talk a lot on the dance floor and other people mask those things. Right. Well, so it's important to figure out who you are and either accentuate the positive or eliminate the negative. Right. Right. <laughs> on the dance floor. So we've talked about how you mentioned like, you know, there's Jack and Jill's, there's Strictly's and then mm-hmm. there's routine divisions and they're all, mm-hmm. you know, different beasts. Yes. Um, how do you see them? Like, what do you see are the differences in terms of like what skills are required or, or the challenges they present? Well, I think Jack and Jill and Strictly Swing is a skill set of um, the social aspect of this dance, the mm-hmm. spontaneity of it and the creative uh, organic aspect of the dance. Whereas, you know, Classic and Showcase, you get to pick your partner, you get to pick your music and you get to pick your choreographer. And then all you have to do is the, the more you practice the better, you know, you become at the choreography and all that. That doesn't necessarily mean you'll be, you know, an amazing performer because that's another skill set, mm-hmm. you know, as well. But in classic and showcase, you you get to control more right. than you do in in Strictly and uh, Jack and Jill. And and some people are very lucky that have that have all three skill sets mastered. We, there's a lot of top professionals that we can do all three you know, very well. And then there are, you know, people that can only do two well or one well, and you just have to figure out what you do well and keep, you know, working on that. And the things that you don't do well, you can practice those and work, have a goal uh, to become better at it. But I really strict, uh, strictly swing and Jack and Jill for me is the true essence of what West coast swing is. Mm-hmm. That's what West coast swing is. Um, and Jack and Jill is the truest of all 
right. uh, you know, because you don't get to, it's not like, you know, that's what our dance is about socially dancing with people that you don't know being like, Hey, do you want to, do you want to dance and having the ability to dance with each other without really knowing, you know, one another, which is, a, which is huge, which is such a great thing about social dancing. Right. Um, and then strictly swing is a little different. Like you decide who you want to, you know, dance with. It's someone that you, you feel comfortable with and you dance with often or that, or you, you just gel with mm-hmm. very well. You don't have to dance with them very often. And then, you know, classic and showcase is a, is a decision to, um, show them your craft or, or your arts. Cause not everyone chooses a choreographer. I think when people first start out or when they're first, first starting out as a couple, they choose a choreographer. And then once they get really good with each other, they end up choreographing their own things because they want to show their own brand. Right. Right. Which is another skill set. Yeah. You know, I know that there are, you know, have been couples in the, in the, in the past and maybe, you know, in the present that, continuously go to a choreographer and, and don't, you know, have their own choreography put in. And that's fine too, mm-hmm. you know, but it's, and then there's the practice thing. Do you have a good practice ethic? Cause if you don't have a good practice ethic, then classic and showcase are not for you. Right. You have to practice. Yeah. And it shows when you don't practice. Mm-hmm. So yeah. those are my thoughts on those three things. So my understanding is that strictly swing, you used to, dance with your regular partner yes test out choreography is that true yeah strictly swim was kind of what classic is right now without costumes Hmm. interesting right and then um like matching outfits started to come into account and and then it became really competitive and then they decided to make you know a division if i remember it uh correctly and then and then it became classic with not, with not really, co- you know, costumes, but just like matching clothing. Mm-hmm. Right. And then Robert Cordoba came into the scene and he brought the flash right. with costumes into, into classic. And that's when classic started to get like really costumey because, you know, right. Because Robert <laughs> came from ballroom yeah. where, you know, in ballroom, you know, like, like we spoke about in an, in an earlier podcast, you know, about like getting docked and judged about costumes and everything. I'm like, right. the ballroom, it's like, you know, you make your hair bright and you wear rhinestones and there's yeah. rhinestones everywhere. And that's about the show mm-hmm. and the performance. And that's how classic got, you know, really like showy mm-hmm. and costumey. We had Annie Hirsch here uh, in the Bay Area uh, and Tom Paderna was the one who interviewed her uh, several years ago. Next Gen Swing Dance Club brought her in for an afternoon and they interviewed mm-hmm. her. And it was great um, just to hear her talk about all sorts of things. Sure. And she told the story of how Jack and Jill's got started. Yeah, um, Jack Carey. Yeah, where she said Jack Carey was at a dance and uh, some guy was giving him a hard time. And he's like, you always win the dance competitions because you always dance with that girl, like his partner at the time, which was before Annie. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, yeah, well, I could win with any girl in the room. And that was how the Jack and Jill said, fine, then we're going to like line up the women, give you a random girl. Right. And- but it's. But we have to go back one more. It actually started. That was probably <laughs> a scenario that happened. But what also it became Jack and Jill because uh, Jack Carey um, bowled for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And in bowling, they would make up teams like that. Jack and Jill's, you'd pick the person's name mm. out of a hat and that became your teammate. And then Jack thought about, well, this is a great way to like kind of make people dance together right. in a competition pick the name out of a hat and that's how it became jack and jill right right but yes that's that's how it happened with jack for sure i can dance with any one of these girls jack carrie was a great 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 dancer mm-hmm. 
he looked good. He felt good. Um, and he would always see when he saw new talents, he would always go to them and like sit down with them and talk to them and, and give them pointers. And all, both Jack and Annie were very giving with their um, knowledge and um, helping, um, helping build people up right. to make them feel good about their dancing. Yeah. Yeah. So like you said, Jack and Jill's and Strictly's are really more of the social aspect of the dance. Yeah. Um, you know, really reflect like, can you, can you dance either with anybody or with somebody, but to any song under right. any circumstances? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, somebody asked me like, when did, when did we start doing competitions? And, you know, I, people should realize like, there's kind of always been dance competitions, right? right like sure. whether it was a dance marathon or like something like the Harvest Moon Ball, where it was like this big event. Or American Bandstand. Yeah. We were always trying yeah. to see like who, who was the best dancer, right? And like right. put on a show and make it entertaining. Right. Um, but like you said, this, this dance and the other swing dances are social first and foremost. And so mm-hmm. that's where Jack and Jill and Strictly really does showcase a lot of the the fundamental skills of our dance, like being able right. to make something happen with anybody to any song. Right. Um, so there, we've talked about the differences between those competitions. Um, what do you suggest to people when you're advising or coaching or teaching people in terms of their approaches for Jack and Jill and strictly um, let's focus on those. Cause we talked about routines in a separate right. episode. Right. Um, but what do you how do you coach people to prepare for Jack and Jill's and Strictly's? How do you sort of set their expectations of what they should be focusing on or what's important? Well, the first thing I tell them is that, uh, you know, when you decide uh, to compete in, a, in, a, in anything, you give every judge the right to put you in last place. Mm-hmm. So you should have that expectation, you know, first. Um, and the second thing I tell them is remember, remember that, um, you you can only can control what what you can do. So worrying about what other, what everyone else is doing on the dance floor doesn't help your cause, mm-hmm. right? Worry about yourself. Worry about the partner um, that you're dancing with, and just focus on that. Focus on having a good dance. Focus on having a creative dance. Don't focus on God. I hope I make the final, or I hope I you know make the semis, or what if I what if I get that partner? I don't worry about any of that before I compete in a Jack and Jill. I always worry about, I can't wait to have a good time. Mm-hmm. You know, um, are, are there moments in my head when I'm like, ah, I don't want to get that partner. Yeah. I have those moments, not because of any other reason, except that we don't dance well together or right. we don't social enough together to build that, that, um, that connection. But more often than not, when I put it out there in the universe, that's the person who I end up drawing. Right. <laughs> right. And I, and I end up doing, a good job because as soon as we walk up onto the dance floor, my intention is to have a good time and a right. good dance, you know, with them. It's not, it's never to have a bad dance with them because I didn't really want to draw them because we don't dance enough mm-hmm. together, you know, with one another. Um, I, I think objective has a lot to do with how you, how you do, you know, in a, in a Jack and Jill, you know, my objective is to have a great dance. And my objective is to show people how much I love doing this dance. And my objective is to show people how good, or how well I follow, mm-hmm. not how 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 good I can interpret or take over the dance. Right. It's more how, how how good of a conversationalist am I? Can, do I listen well? Do I respond well? Mm-hmm. You know, we all know we can all talk, but can you listen? Right. 
and dancing's the same. So that's the advice I give to people who are doing, you know, um, Jack and Jill's. And and remember that on any given Sunday, anybody can win, mm-hmm. right? And anybody can place. And what you did this weekend, you know, you could win this weekend, and the next weekend you could lose, or or, or vice versa. Or you could you could win this weekend when you thought you shouldn't have, which means that next weekend it'll it, the reverse will happen. You'll lose when you should have won. Right. Because that's just how we balance things out. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how I look at it. Right. You know, I tell my students similar thing in that I always want them to have like a personal goal. Like, again, recognizing this is out of your control. Like, it's just there's so much that's out of your control. And the only thing you can do is put your best version of yourself. So what is it that you want to achieve here? Right. Like, what is a good dance for you? What is success for you? Um and in some cases, it's as simple as I got to dance with three new people. Score. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Exactly. And, and it's funny because when we talked about how competitive this, the scene was getting, I was thinking about how we used to just compete just to dance with new people, like especially right. in novice and intermediate. There's right. so many people I didn't know. You know, when you get up right. to the higher levels and it's smaller and you see the same people all the time, it's different. You, you know, you get right. to compete with your friends. It's about putting on the show. Mm-hmm. But yeah, novice, like when people say, I don't know, I don't, I, think I want to compete. And I'm like, well, why do you want to? Is always the first thing I ask mm-hmm. them is like, what's your goal? And they're like, I don't know. It just seems like fun. I'm like, cool, then go have fun. And right. you get to, you know, you get to meet at least three people right. that you've probably never danced with before. And if you make mm-hmm. semis, you get another three, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I tell them to have those personal goals. So I'm like, what are you, what are you working on right now? Well, I'm working on like, you know, posture and staying connected. I'm like, great, go out and dance. And, you know, if you, if you watch the video afterwards and your posture looked great, then it was a win. Like, regardless mm-hmm. of how, how well you do in terms of the right. judge's eyes, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, did you go? Did you have a good dance? If you did, mm-hmm. great. Um, and it's kind and of the funny. judge's eyes aren't always right. Right. And they so, don't see everything. Right. So there could be a lot going on that's great that they don't see. And there could be, you know, they just saw you at that one moment mm-hmm. or vice versa. And I think what you said earlier about how sometimes, it feels great. And then you watch it and you're like, oh, it wasn't uh, so good, right? Yeah, exactly. You're like, oh, I, and I hit a certain point in my dancing. I think about like after I was seasoned in intermediate and, and moving into advanced where uh, two two different things would happen. One, I'd have a great dance and then I'd watch the video and be like, wow, that was atrocious. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I was having fun, but when in the process of having fun, I like let my posture go or let my connection go or like, I don't know, weird stuff was happening. Mm-hmm. On the flip side... Um, I also started having dances where I walked away being like, God, that felt terrible. And then people were like, what? It was a great dance. And I'd watch yeah. the video and I'd be like, oh, well, actually it looked really good. <laughs> like, right. like both would happen. Um, yes. and again, I think what you said about, you know, you, you're going in and you don't control anything and it's like, just go and define what a good dance is for you and strive right. for that. You, you can't control what the judges see, how they, oh. and what they think of what they see. You right. can't control who else is out there. Um, and yeah, every day is different. I mean, if people think about their social dancing, we all go out and have a killer night. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, the stars aligned. I had the right thing for dinner. I had a good day. I'm rested. The music Mm -hmm. was good. I don't Mm -hmm. know. I'll have a great night. And then other nights I go out and I'm like, I'm just not feeling it. I have those nights too. Yeah. And that's going to happen in competition. Sure. You know? Um, and I think just being in touch with how you feel about your own dancing that day is really the most important thing for people to go out there. Um, right. 
I do suggest to people when they're doing strictly, like, choose a partner you're comfortable with. Because I know a lot of people, it's, you know, Friday of the event, they show up. Somebody asked me, I said, yes. I'm like, have you danced with them? They're like, no. Or I've danced with him, but it wasn't. Yes. And that's a good way to meet people. But there's sometimes this happened recently. One of my students was like, somebody asked me, but like, I don't like social dancing with him. I'm like, well, then maybe you shouldn't do it strictly. (laughs) Like, why would you put yourself in that position to go get out there? You know, it's like what you said about going into competition. And sometimes you don't want to draw somebody because you know, you don't connect well. And it's like, Mm -hmm. you can make it work. But is that really what you're paying, what, 20, 30 bucks to go? Right. So that's why strictly is different. At least you have the opportunity to choose you know, someone that you enjoy dancing with, someone that you connect well with, someone someone that um, um, inspires you, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, you know, on the dance floor. And that's what should happen, too. You know, uh, I think that, that that ends up being a, a problem, whereas uh, instead of trying to inspire uh, your partner, people try to antagonize or um, outdance mm-hmm. uh, their partner. Like, again, I've said this before. Like people come from adversarial points of view instead of from, you know, teammate uh, point of view. And there's no I in the word team. And really, you know, this dance requires you. I'm not saying you shouldn't have an ego because we all have one. But what I'm saying is, is that check your ego at the door, meaning it's not about you. Mm -hmm. It's about the two of you. It's a relationship for two to three minutes. And what's great about it is if the relationship doesn't work on the dance floor, that's fine. Right. It's not like, you know, you have to deal with this relationship for the rest of your life. Right. It's just three minutes that didn't work. It's mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. Um, and the expectation that every dance is going to be magic is oh. just, a, it's a, yeah. Of course. It's false. That's- it's, it's like, just yeah, not going to happen. It's not. Would that um, be the ideal situation? Oh, hell yeah. I would love every dance to feel like <laughs> euphoric. Right. Like I walk off the floor and like, oh my God. Like there have been moments where I've had like six dances in a row and dance number seven. I'm like, well, I don't have to dance the rest of the night. That was the best dance. Yep. Like you have that feeling of like, like everything, you know, fell into place, but it doesn't happen like that every night. And that's okay. Right. And what Brandy said uh, and she says all the time when she's teaching that she's okay with a bad dance or like a mediocre dance or just a blah yeah, dance. Like, right. and I'll tell you when I was in intermediate, um, I remember distinctly struggling with intermediate. Um, like you get to that level, you're like, okay, I've had success in novice and I moved through novice in like a year. And then I was in intermediate and kind of struggling. And it's because I started wanting and I started trying. Right. And instead I was like, you know what? I'm just going to have the best social dance I can. And if the judges like that, awesome. And if they don't, they don't. And that attitude of just, I'm just going to have a social dance freed me up. It took the pressure off. Right. It wasn't about performing for the judges or, or showing myself off. It was just, let me just dance here with this person. Um, and I encourage people, especially at the novice and intermediate and even advanced level, like go have a good social dance. Go dance with your partner, make magic with your partner. And that's, that's what draws people in and don't, you know, Brandy talks about this, but so do others. And I know you've talked about it too, about like not forcing the dance. Right. And I think that's that's where people get to your point, adversarial because they're like, well, nothing's happening. I got to make something happen. And they will sacrifice Mm -hmm. the partnership for what they think is a good dance. And it's like, just be there with your partner. That's where the magic right. happens. Right. And I think sometimes the making the happen happens because you, you can see that 
either your partner's not present with you and you're like, come on, let's get together. Or you could see that either one of you is frustrated with the music. Like, you know, I've seen it with, with champions and, and myself included, you know, nothing's working, nothing's working. Like the music's, we're not connecting, nothing's happening, blah, blah. And all of a sudden a break will hit in the music and I'll, and I'll hit that split. And that means that, you know, people wake up, come on. Right, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it happens. It's not, it, and, and I want people to recognize that, you know, if you think champions have great dancers all day, every day, you're sadly mistaken because we don't. <laughs> right. Okay. And if you think, you know, champions are inspired all day, every day, you're sadly mistaken. We aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to be inspired with music as well. We, we need to be, uh, inspired with our partner. The, the, you know, all the stars have to align. Sometimes we're, we're emotional beings just like everyone else. And sometimes when we're emotionally not in a good space, then our dance, it reflects in our dancing because that's who we are. Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, there's no such thing as the perfect scenario. Can it happen? Yeah. Right. But you can't, you can't make it happen. Right. Right. You can't force it. No, there's no forcing the issue. Just, just be. Yeah. And I want to highlight something that you just said is that when it's not happening and you're trying to make something happen, you do that with your partner. Right. You're like, how can we make this happen? How can we connect? And that's different than some of the people I see out there where they're like, well, let me do something. Yeah. Like, uh, my partner isn't doing something, so I will. Right. Or right. they check out from their partner and they start dancing with the audience instead. Right. I see that way too often. Um, yeah, it's instead of saying, you know what, let me be here with my partner. How can I connect with my partner? And then recognize that the audience will appreciate that, that that will right. resonate, that that will be magical. I often tell people, you know, a lot of times we, we talk about uh, flash and trash, right? The big like showy stuff that right. isn't necessarily good partnering. It's just show. It's all about the show, the flash in the pan. And a lot of people, and again, this gets back to our episode on judging that sometimes the flash will win. Um, like even when people sacrifice partnership, if there was some big show that will sometimes get rewarded. Um, but in spite of that, people should also recognize that there are two things that get a really big cheer it, in my observation. Uh, yes. One Tell is... Me. A big move that is very well timed and very well executed. Right. Right. So big phrase change, blah, 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 boom. You hit the one, you hit it with your partner. It's clean. It's connected. It's musical. Right. 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 Big moves that don't end clean, like they don't land cleanly, don't get an applause. Big moves that are done not to the music, don't get applause. Right. Wait, you think, hold on, stop. Because you just said big moves that don't end cleanly. Don't get applause. And I've seen big moves that don't end cleanly and champions get applause and it gets applause because of the recovery. Right. So the recovery (laughs) is clean. Well, it's not that the recovery is clean, that they recovered. Right. It wasn't clean. That's true. That's true. And we talked about that with Robert. It's like, oh my God, I can't believe that just happened. Boom. Everybody claps. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. And you know, if you fall out of a triple axle when you're figure skating, you don't get a clap. No, no. Room yeah. goes quiet. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. Just because you got up gracefully. That's true. Yeah. Um, that's true. It does sometimes happen. But generally speaking, I feel like it's when it's well-executed, musical, you know, lands in the moment, you get a cheer. But the other thing that gets a cheer are like two people that do a little movement together to the music. 
right? Yes, like that's they great. turn their heads at the same time or they do a mirrored thing. Like the leader does something and then on the next hit, the follower does it. Like those little, and it can just be a shoulder, shoulder or head, head or like it Subtle doesn't teeth. have to be this grand, beautiful, big thing. It can be a small little thing that's just done well with your partner to the music. I think those get less, um, audience reactions the way it used to it used to be that the little things that were done together like the audience would go nuts mm-hmm. now we little things that come together it's almost like the audience is jaded it's like oh let me mm. see what, what else can you do can you pull right, a rabbit right. out of your ass yeah you know that's what they wait for you know roller skates flaming baton yeah. you know rabbit boom oh my god amazing i'm sorry was my two shoulder accents matching my footwork not good enough for you? <laughs> right you know what I, I, mean? think, I think that's true um yeah, I think that's true. And and we talked about that with Brandy about the audience kind of being jaded and not appreciating what the people are putting out there for you. Um, right. Yeah, that's true. Audience perception has changed. It so, is. It's, it's, it's sad. Yeah, it is. Kind of sad. <laughs> I don't want to cry, but I feel like I need to. <laughs> um, so we've talked about you know, how these competitions differ. We've talked about kind of how to advise people to to approach competitions and really focusing on your own goals of having a good dance. What's a good dance for you? Go have a good dance out there. Um, do you have advice for people on approaching things either mentally in terms of their mindset or um, actually in terms of like uh, strategies for succeeding between prelims and finals? Um, and you know, and prelims are like a heated format and a spotlight mm-hmm. format. Yeah. So that like for, for me, cause you know, if we talk to Robert Royce, then he has a different mm-hmm. uh, theory on this. But for me, like I don't believe in prelims that I should be blowing my whole wad. Mm-hmm. Right. Because then what am I going to do in finals? Right. Um, so I believe for me, my strategy in prelims is just really connecting well with my partner having a good dance, being musical, being present. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be like, oh my God, these crazy, you know, moves. Cause I have to say like when I'm in prelims and champions, Jack and Jill, and there are professionals showboating in the prelims, it's a little annoying. Hmm. You know what I mean? I feel like the showboating should happen in the final. That's the right. whole, Cause the you know, that, right. Um, cause then, cause the, here's the other thing is the flip side of it. There are people that showboat in the prelim. And then when they get to the final, the dance is like lackluster. Mm. I was like, well, you just blew everything in the prelim. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, what do you got left? Yeah. Um, so like, again, again, you know, my strategy is to, is to just, you know, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't like play with the audience a little bit, you know, in the prelims, if you're in the front line, if you're in the front and everything, but going overboard and where, where, where where I'm dancing with my leader and my leader is actually looking at the people that are showboating. I want to smack my leader. <laughs> I like smack him in the face and be like, what are you doing? Yeah. You should be pay- paying attention to me. And it's happened more than once. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's annoying. Yeah, really. Um, so I, I, I'm not saying you can't interact with, you know, the audience, but just don't go overboard where it's like, it's so bad that, you know, my partner that I'm dancing with is getting distracted from it. And obviously they should, they shouldn't get distracted from it because they should be a professional or right. champion, you know, whatever it is. But, you know, that's just my philosophy. Then there, there are other people that believe that, you know, in the prelims, you should be going balls to the wall to get yourself into that, you know, final. Yeah. I think I'm of both minds. Yeah. I don't believe in going balls to the wall. 
really ever, but that's just my dancing. Um, <laughs> I just never go balls to the wall. Um, I like my balls right where they are. So um, I just imagine that would hurt. So, um, but I think there's a balance between, like you said, I, I still think the focus is on your partner um, because if you can't make it work with your partner, it's going to be bad for both of you, right? Like right. you're both on that ship. And if it's going to sink, you're both going down. Yep. So I, I really think it's about working with your partner, um, adapting to your partner, having fun with your partner. Cause when you both are smiling and having a good time, that draws my eye. And as a judge, we're like, well, they're having a good time. So that must be better than the two people over there who have, you know, Debbie Downer faces. Like <laughs> we want to see you having a good time in competition. That said, when it's like, you know, there's 30 couples out on the floor and you want to get noticed, um, I don't think that necessarily means that you have to go to the audience to do that. I don't think it means you have to do huge things, but I do advise, like I had the advice at one point, they're like, look, you're tall and skinny. If you lift your arm You'll at any noticed. point, you're going to get noticed, you're which by the way, it's just general in life, right? If I'm in class and I want the teacher to call on me, what do you do? You raise your hand. Right. So like, I think there are certain things that you can do to draw, uh, draw the judge's eye. Right. Forget well, yeah, the audience, you, but like to get noticed on the dance floor. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've given um, advice where uh, this is a Robert Cordova rule uh, in prelims in Jack and Jill, because the judges are always in the back. Mm -hmm. He he just stays in the back and goes from one side of the room to the other and just keeps staying mm. in the back. When, but before it would be like first line, go to the front, front line, go to the back. Right. Right. You know, right. When it would be like, just find your own spot. And they would keep yeah. saying, just find your own spot. Uh, he would just stay. In the back line. Yeah. And I will say, so two things. One, I um, actually advise my students to stay in the middle. Yeah, yeah. Because I feel like judges don't always watch the people who are right in front of them. Sure. Right? But they also can't see the people at the front, especially if it's a big floor like Boogie right. or the Open or Capitol or whatever. Right. So I'm like, kind of hang out in the middle. I do advise my students to be mindful. And I learned this from ballroom, actually, which might be where... Robert Cordova got the idea of like, because where, right. where you place yourself on the floor matters. Sure. Um, it matters yes. in terms of how you're seen, how the judges see you, whether they right. will look at you. Right. Uh -huh. So yeah. In the days when we used to choose where we got to go, I would say, right. okay, I drew this person. Do I dance well with them? Maybe not. I might go off a little to the side. Right. Right. <laughs> right. On that first dance. Cause right. I, I just don't know how it's going to go. But if I know I right. dance well with them, I'm going to put myself like in the middle right. or even if I can go to the front and get audience cheers, then I can go to the front, right? Because then even though I'm far away from the judges, they will, they'll hear the cheers and that will draw their attention. Right. But I, I do think about where I am on the floor when we get the choice. Yeah. And I'd also say like, if we, if we do, if we are able to have our own choice where we dance uh, on the floor, as a follower, I always allow the leader to guide me to wherever he wants to stand because he's the leader. And if he's not comfortable, then we're not going to have a good dance. Right. Right. So. Which, by the way, I know we're talking about prelims mm -hmm. um, or heated format, but my own pet peeve, exactly what you just said. Like, if your leader's not comfortable, it's probably not going to be a good dance. It right. is much easier for a leader to bring up a follower yes. than a follower to bring up a leader. Correct. Which you mentioned with John Lindo when you were talking about, like, And other the podcasts we've talked about. It. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, because the leader is doing the primary choreography. Like, they set up mm -hmm. the dance so much. It drives me kind of batty when followers insist on a song in finals. Like, you know, when you used to, you, to get a choice, right? Of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever kind of song. And mm -hmm. 
the follower will pick, even if oh, they I know never, the leader doesn't dance well to it. I never pick. I always let him pick. I feel like every follower should think about what the leader dances to. Right. But instead, they're like, oh, I love this song. And they pick it. And I'm like, oh, you know he doesn't <laughs> dance to that, right? Or it's me. And I'm like, why'd you pick fast club music? <laughs> Do you know who I am? Like, have you met me? Probably not. But um, yeah, anyway, that's another separate pet peeve. Um, but anyway, so the other thing I was thinking about with the heated format is this, you know, circle of death that we now do, where we're yes. like, the judges are in the middle, which yes. I, I will admit, as a judge, I don't mind being in the middle, because I'm now I more do. equidistant. You mind being in the middle? Because you can't yeah, get walk, the overview? I walk, I walk around. I go, if there's a stage, I walk up on the stage, I go down the stage, I get, because I, I like to be able to go on, on one side of the room and look across the room and look at the people across mm, yeah. the room, you know, in the circle, not to mention when we're in the circle, the judges are always in my way. Right. That's true. Like they're blocking my view. Yeah. You have a limited view. The yeah, other thing so, about the circle that I don't like is, especially when they go like, we're going to go workshop style and like slot this way. So I'm only looking right. at somebody at the back of their head and their butt the whole time. Right. That's not how I want to see the dance. And it's not the best way to see what's happening in the partnership because I'm right. only seeing one partner and the back of them at yep. any time. I, right. I don't like the circle format just do in I. general. And I especially don't like it when we slot, you know, oh, where, where the judges are always looking at the backs of people. Yeah. It I doesn't do anybody any favors, like as a competitor or as a judge. I agree. Um, I know we, we did it for like, I assume we did it for efficiency of space and time, but yeah. it's like, if first of all, if you have that many people on the floor that you have to circle up, maybe you should have smaller heats. Agreed. So that everybody can get a fair chance of being seen. I like the three lines. Front line goes to the back. Yes. Middle line goes to the front. Back line moves to the middle. And you do that three times. I like that. I think it works well. I do too. Cause you can um, see, you can see everybody and you see them from the angle that you want to see them. Well, you see them natural, what the dance looks like when you're watching. Right. Right. You know what I mean? It just circle just doesn't make any sense to me. No, I really, I wish event directors would stop using it. I don't um, think it's the event director. I think it's mostly the head judge who decides. Oh, head judge. Why do you yeah. think they went to that format knowing all of these things that we're talking about that it's not the best way to view people, that it makes it harder um, for judges? I think, like, again, I think it's easier for people to rotate in and out. And if that's the case, then maybe we should have more heats. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think they think that it's easier for judges to see everybody, which I disagree. It's not. Uh, at, which, best, which, at best, I'm seeing a fraction of the circle. Yeah. I mean, we're all allowed, we're all allowed to agree to disagree. In fact, every time I'm, I'm at an event and I'm judging, um, that had judge, I make sure that they know if I've never worked with them before, I'm going to stand on the outside, I'm going to walk around mm -hmm. and you don't have to worry about me to ask me, are you done? Right. I said, don't, cause you don't, I don't want you to worry about having to find me, having to walk at me. I'll always be ready and I'll always be done. And if I feel I'm not going to be ready, you'll know a song before that I need another song, right. which is, which is next to never. Mm -hmm. So uh, I make it easy, uh, for, for the head judge. And, and then there are some people, there are some judges who like being, you know, in the circle. It's just, it's not my, it's not, it's not my preference. I feel like it's not the true essence of how the dance looks or anything like that. Just like we said. Yeah. So sometimes it's, sometimes it's event director who says, I want everything in a circle. And sometimes it's the head judge who says circle, you know, it is yeah. what it is. I don't even teach a class in a circle. Neither do I. <laughs> this dance is not about circles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unless you're talking yeah. to Robert Royce and then he'd probably say it's all about arcs. But anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> which it is Arch i get that but uh yeah, yeah. right um but yeah anyway that that 
whole thing. In which case, the whole everything we're talking about strategy of placement on the floor doesn't matter. Um, and I get not letting people just go wherever they want, especially when there's like 20, 30 couples on the floor. Cause yes, as a judge, it could be hard to find everybody. And let's, yeah. and let's recognize that the circle, it's called workshop style for a reason because it works for a workshop. Right. <laughs> it's, just, it's not, it, it doesn't work for competition. Also, can I just point out that everywhere you go, everywhere, like everywhere I've taught in the world, we dance in workshops or classes opposite from how we dance socially. Yes. Everywhere. It's, yes. I mean, I guess it's the shape of the room and how we set it up, but and it just kind of rotate. blows. Yeah, yeah. It's just right. very funny to me that everywhere, no, it doesn't matter where you are, it's like we dance this way in class and you're going to social dance the opposite way. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, what are the approaches or strategies or tips you give people for a spotlight final? Because mm. it's a different animal, right? Now it's it about is. the show. It's about presentation. You're the only one out there, so everything's going to be seen. Mm-hmm. For better or worse, um, it's different than a heated format. So I tell people what I do, and and what I do is is that when I pick that person's name or they pick me out of the hat, and mm-hmm. we both stand up. The first thing that I do is I look at that part and I make eye contact. I make the, I make eye contact, and then I walk up to them and then I hug them, and then I back away and I make eye contact again, and then I stay close to them. I'll either put my head on their chest or just stay. Close and my first, the most important person in the room to me is my partner. So I will connect with them first, and then the music will start, and I'll connect with the music and my partner. And then the only person that's important is my partner and the music. And if my partner puts me out to the audience or I have an opportunity to be out to the audience, then that's where I'll go. But the audience is 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 tertiary, secondary or tertiary mm-hmm. for me, right? It's it's partner, music, then audience. And I right. think people make the mistake of they walk up to their partner. They're really not really connected with their partner. They they connect physically with their partner, but they're really not connected. And the music starts, and they start dancing before their partner. Right. Yeah. They haven't connect, they haven't connected at all. So that's how I do it. That's my strategy with with everyone. Yeah. It doesn't matter who. And I will um, say, if um, people listening have not had the chance to take Deborah's workshop, you do a whole workshop on this. I know you did it at Boogie. Yes. Last year, um, mm-hmm. and you did it with the advanced all stars when you came here to San Francisco mm-hmm. uh, about exactly what you're talking about, about connecting with your partner is one of the mm-hmm. greatest things I've ever taken in in my entire dance career. It's just, and it uh, works. Yes. And everybody yes. leaves that workshop feeling engaged, energized, connected. It's amazing. Right. Um, right. You're a magician. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, I wish you would get invited to teach that more often and people should take it because it's good for regardless of what level you are, yeah. regardless of whether you compete or not. It's about connecting with your partner. And right. yeah, I, I think what you said about couples who they're, they're not, I mean, how many times have we seen partners get out there and even partners who dance together all the time and yeah. they forget to connect with each other yeah. in that moment. And mm-hmm. it just, it, it goes off the rails. Um, they just, it just never comes together. And I tell this to even my beginner students when, when I'm teaching, because I teach the same concept of like connect with your partner. Like we have this, this moment in close before you even start your starter step. Yes. Like connect because odds are you're not going to like find them and catch up in the middle of the dance. No. It's like once you start driving, if they're not in the car, they're not going to get in the car. <laughs> like, right. And I think it's a, you know, we have to understand that the West Coast Swing, whether we want to believe it or not, it's a, it's a pretty intimate dance. Yes. Right. And so it's kind of like going into intimacy with your partner and not looking at them. Mm-hmm. 
you know, how do you connect intimately if you're not looking at them and, and, you know, and making that connection? It just makes no sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing can happen too, um, which is why I think it's important. You say, you know, focusing on your partner and the music mm -hmm. is people do connect. They get off to a good start. And 90 right. seconds is long enough for it to go too far, <laughs> right? Right, right, right? So they have like a really good first 30 seconds, 45 seconds, and then they, they, they don't stay. Yeah. They don't stay or not that they check out, but they, they get overconfident and it yeah, starts yeah, going yeah. bigger and bigger and bigger. It's like, um, for me, the analogy is like, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean is a great example of like the first movie was fantastic. <laughs> And then by the time you got to the sequel and then the third one, you were like, this is ridiculous. What? It's out of control. <laughs> it's too big. It's too much. What happened to the little story about the guy and the dead? Anyway. So, yeah, I just feel like, you know, it's like sequels. They try to go bigger and, and, right. and broader. And, and it's like. bigger isn't always better. Right. Um, so. I mean, Texas will disagree with that. <laughs> that's right. Everything's bigger <laughs> right. in Texas. Right. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, staying in that moment with your partner, you know, yes, finding opportunities to acknowledge the, the audience for sure, sure, because especially in a spotlight format, it's, it's about presentation. Um, but first and foremost, being with your partner. Um, and I, you do a really good job of both exemplifying that and teaching it. Brandy is another one who also does that of, um, you know, she has lots of great strategies of like how to acknowledge the audience, but stay with your partner. Uh, right. Jessica Cox was also somebody who taught me a lot about that, about how yes. to, she used to talk about um, dancing with your partner. If you're in a, it's as if you're dancing with your partner and you're in a bar and you're there with the partner, but there's somebody on the other side of the room whose eye you want to catch, <laughs> right? right. Um, like who you want them to notice you, right? So she right. was good about being like, I'm here with my partner, but I want that couple over there or that, that cute person over there to, to watch. Sure. Absolutely. And so it's she used like to. She used to, yeah. you know, and that's how she dances. It's like she would dance with her partner, but she'd find moments to acknowledge and, and invite the audience to watch. Exactly. Um, and yeah, I think a, a lot of spotlight dancing is too audience driven. Too and mugging. Yeah. Yeah. We call it mugging. Um, yeah. and, um, uh, for better or worse, yes, sometimes that gets rewarded. Uh, sure. but again, go into competition with what you think is good dancing and, uh, judge and I your think dancing on that. I think we should tell people too that like, um, just because something places or wins doesn't mean it's good or it's right. Correct. You should be able to look past, you know, that me as me as a professional, you know, I recognize when I got rewarded for something that shouldn't have been rewarded. And I'm like, damn it. Why did you, you know, give me that? I don't want people to think that that's okay. Cause it's not. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's important to be smart too, when you're watching, competition and, and seeing what gets rewarded and doesn't get rewarded and, and recognize that, you know, sometimes judges get it right. And sometimes they get it wrong. Right. And right yeah. and wrong are subjective, right? So sure, I watch, absolutely. I watch dances and I do the same thing. And, and really when I'm watching uh, a competition, when I'm not judging, right. Cause I don't mm -hmm. have to put that hat on. Um, and I like how Brandy talks about like the, the critical eye, the appreciative eye and the comparative yeah. eye, right? Like there are different ways of watching things. Um, and, I watch, and to me, I'm looking for quote unquote good dancing based on what I think is good dancing. That's based on right. my values of what I think this dance is about and, right. and what I want to see. Um, mm -hmm. I always appreciate, you know, partnered musicality over yeah. one person showboating. 
and, so do I. and ignoring their partner. Period. Absolutely. I will always think that's better dance, regardless of how it ends up in competition. It's just not better dancing. It's just it's it's just better communication. It's partnering. Right. I mean, this dance you know? is a partner dance, so right. I want to see partnership first and mm-hmm. foremost. And I will say too that um, when I'm judging, like for me, I'm more forgiving in a Jack and Jill of partnership than mm-hmm. in a Strictly because you chose your partner. Right. You chose exactly. the partner. So when you exactly. get out there, I expect you to have solid connection and partnership. Absolutely. That's a given to me in a Strictly. And mm-hmm. so if you don't have that, yeah, I'm going to dock you down. Whereas in Jack and Jill, I understand you're adapting. You're figuring each other out. Like maybe you haven't danced before. Mm-hmm. Um, I still value partnership, but I'm more forgiving in that. I understand, you know, glitches mm-hmm. will happen. Um, but yeah, I, I often think of the Albert Einstein quote, what is right is not always popular and what is popular is not always right. Um, which used to hang in my, my biology, my biology teacher in high school used to have that over the chalkboard. So I right. thought was great, but it's true. You know, what, what people love is not always good stuff. Um, no. Aquaman is currently making a crap ton of money right now. <laughs> And try to tell me that's a good movie. Go ahead, make like your it. case. I didn't see it. I didn't see it yet. I didn't see it either. So I'm judging it. But um, oh, you can't do that. That's not fair. Uh, but I've heard other people who I whose opinions I respect, and they're like, "Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a cluster. It's a kind of a cluster." Beep. And I but, heard differently. Uh, what's that? I heard differently. I heard lots of people liked it. I heard visually, it's interesting. Astounding. I heard the story is kind of a mess. Oh well, DC is not really great at storyline. No. They were so close with Wonder Woman. Then that third act happened. Well, in Justice League, I thought they did an okay job. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. We should do a whole separate podcast on Justice League. We should movies. because no, I don't think anybody realizes that you and I are very comic um, yeah. junkies. They're, well, they probably know from me because if you follow me on Facebook, I share all sorts of entertainment news about yeah, I superhero TV shows. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the other thing that I think is important to understand is that we all go through a journey as competitors. And you and I talked about this. I have observed that, one, people go through kind of a common thread of competition. So they start off, they usually do it for fun. You know, I just want to have fun and try it out, meet people. They start getting more serious about it. Sure. You know, they get a little more competitive. They get Mm -hmm. down on themselves when they don't do well. They start figuring themselves out. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's kind of that trajectory of of people kind of starting off having fun. It reflects what Divi was talking about with the competency model of like you or the learning competency model um, of you start off great. You have fun. You start realizing you're not doing well. Like you have the highs and lows, the ups and downs. People get... Um, they hit a certain point where they, they stop succeeding the way they used to, and they have to work harder and they start getting down about it or frustrated. Right. Some will quit or step away. Some will stick with it and push through. Watch through it. Right. The other thing I've noticed is, um, in general, so I'm generalizing based on a lot of observation that men and women go through this differently in that. Just like life. Sure. Right. Different experience. (laughs) Um, men are traditionally leading women are traditionally following. So I think part of it is based on the role. I think part of it might just be based on, on gender and, and how we are as people. But Mm -hmm. I noticed that men get into competition and I feel like they get more confident as they compete. Yes. They, and I feel like feathers open up. Yeah. And I feel (laughs) like women often get less secure up until Mm -hmm. a point, maybe when they kind of figure themselves out. But, um, Mm -hmm. 
and again, this is generality. I know it's not everybody, but I feel like men in part because we're leaders and I feel like leaders often judge their success based on what they can execute or what they've been rewarded on. Sure. That too. Right. Um, uh, and, and let's keep in mind, let's acknowledge that one followers tend to have it harder because there often are more followers in competition. And two, a lot of times followers are more talented, um, either because they have previous dance training or because of the nature of this dance and how followers develop and and focus on quality of movement. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so followers often have it tougher, which can, Mm -hmm. can also erode confidence. But if, if leaders are evaluating their success based on like whether they made finals or what they can do in the dance in terms of executing patterns, well, then it's really easy to build up your confidence because you're like, look at all the cool stuff I can do. Right. Um, and I get rewarded for it. Mm -hmm. Whereas followers following in this dance is very much about how well you move. Right. Like it's, and how well you respond. Yeah. It's about it's not about what you can do in terms of choreography. It's about how well you move and interact with your partner, um, how well you can make that dance work. And so it, it's very much about you and your movement and your quality. Um, and also, I think in general, uh, women are have been more social and kind of look to other women like I hear more from. I hear more from men look at what I can do or uh, yeah, it's just more about like what they can do. And I hear a lot of men come out of competition, like, well, I'm better than him. Oh, Whereas sure. I hear from a lot of followers, like, Oh my God, look how amazing she is. Right. Look how I, uh, God, I wish I moved half as well as she does. Well, we're more, su- we're just by nature. We're just, a, we're a more um, supportive because we're the nurturers. That's just. So more social. Are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're just nurturers. But I think it. And let's a... not let's not. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this right now, right now, well, before this when this podcast goes out publicly. Do not make <laughs> this about gender right now. No, I no, don't no. want to hear. I don't want to hear any of that. Okay, it's just it's just nature nurture and women are nurturers and that's it. Not to say that men can't be. No, just, of course not. It's yeah, how we've evolved is right. women were always communal taking care of things and we still are right um so yeah so i see women like compare themselves to other women and admire those other women and they absolutely they see themselves as less than whereas i see men get advanced in competition compare themselves to other guys and be like i'm better than and and so they get more confident and women often get less confident well but i also think that women uh, we I think there are select, there is a group of us because sometimes women don't do it, but we empower each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas um, men, men are just na- naturally more competitive. They just have a competitive nature about them. I think that's partly true. I, I mean, I do see there's, there's camaraderie among the men sure. a lot of times. I, we're especially, not saying that. Yeah. Yeah. And especially yeah. in our competitive scene, I, I do. One of the things I have really appreciated in, in especially the last several years of, competing is how we all clap, um, you know, we high five each other. We yeah. Hug each or other. like just among yeah. all stars or I started first feeling it when I was doing my routine with Yenny and like being in the classic division, you're back there with everybody. Everybody's so supportive. Like right. you really feel your peer group and you feel that support. And I see it right. in the all stars, like when they're out there competing and they're cheering for one another. I definitely see it in the champions. Like I see yeah. you and like Sarah, like um, all the guys cheering for one another, clapping sure. and laughing. Like, there is a real sense of 
of uh, camaraderie. pure camaraderie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really good. But yeah, I, you know, just that general trajectory of, I see men getting, as they move up the ranks, they get more confident and cocky and yeah. women get less secure. And I'm like, we need to, we need a recalibration. We need to balance here. <laughs> it out. Yeah. A little yeah. bit more. Well, I think what would help that I think is if, if leaders would, um, compliment followers more, you know, after a dance is over or, or tell them, well, that was such a great dance or, you know, I really had fun dancing with you. And I, I don't think men do that, you know, as often as, as followers uh, do it. Like we'll tell the guy, oh, that was, I had such a good time with you. That was so great. Let's do it again. Um, I think we're just, we, we just, we're okay with, I think uh, women are okay with empowering other people because they realize it doesn't take away power from them. But whereas men, when they empower other men, they feel it takes away power from them. I think sometimes it happens that way. Not, not, yeah. I mean, I think sometimes, sometimes, yeah. um, uh, cause like I, I myself, and I know a lot of other gracious leaders who are like, thank you. Sure. That was so much fun. That was great. Right. Or acknowledging. Um, I think that would help. I mean, we could also I say the flip side, I think mm-hmm. the flip side is, you know, followers spoke up more when it wasn't good. That might help <laughs> counter the leader's ego, right? Like how many followers are like, oh, that felt terrible or that hurt or I was uncomfortable and they didn't say anything. I agree um, with that. And leaders are like, well. that was a great dance. And the followers are like, God, that was terrible. I think we're in a catch 22. We're damned if we do and we're damned if we don't. Yeah. That's where I think where we're at with that. I mean, I also, know. the other thing I was going to mention is um, that I think it's rare for people to have an accurate sense of their own ability. Mm, yes. I think a lot of people either think they're better than they are or worse than they worse are. Worse than they are. I agree. And very few people. I mean, I think at the higher levels, I think part of what makes you all great, especially at the champion level is, you know, your strengths and weaknesses and you, mm-hmm. you know, where you are, you know, that like Sarah has different strengths than you do. And you right. know, Brandy does. And like, you all appreciate each other. And so there's a confidence there because you have an accurate sense of who you are and you can, it's enough that you can appreciate other people too. And we, we, right. And we recognize that what's great about this dance is what makes us different is what's mm-hmm. great about this dance. And I think, you know, in the other divisions, they're comparing themselves to others so much instead of just being an individual. Right. And, and that's I, what su- makes them suffer. Yes. And at the lower levels, I just think, and by lower, I mean below champion. Right. Um, I think there's just not, people just don't have an accurate view of their own dancing. They either think they're better than they are or they think they're worse than they are. And I think, yeah. you know, it's, uh, that's what a coach is for. I was just going to say, like, it's been really helpful for me to like have a coach. Sometimes coaches are saying, you know, you're really not that bad at this thing. Like you're actually good at that. And other times right, right. like, you really need to work on this. I'm like, damn. Right. Um, right. Right. But uh, yeah, having, having <laughs> coaches and teachers who help you calibrate, um, mm-hmm. who give you that feedback of, you know, yes, this is great. And yes, you still need to work on this other thing. Right. And feedback is meant to improve you, not to, not to tear you down. And right. I think people, look at feedback sometimes as a, as a negative. And, and, you know, if you don't get feedback, how are you supposed to become better? I mean, this is why we say, you know, you're a champion because you don't rest on your laurels because you continue to work mm-hmm. on your craft and you recognize that you're, you, you're not always great. Right. I would also say that watching yourself dance that is great worst. feedback. Well, it's good feedback and that you can actually yeah. see what's happening in that often. Yeah. Like we said, sometimes I have a great dance and it looks terrible or vice versa. Right. So it's good to have that feedback, but you also need to know what you're looking at. 
which right. gets back to our whole episode on judging and that like it's being able to see something and assess it and diagnose it is a totally different skill set. Um, so you can watch it and be like, well, it looks fine to me. And then your coach is like, okay, you have to work on X, Y, and Z. Or you can watch it and be like, God, that's terrible. That's terrible. And your coach is like, actually, that's fine. You know, like, yeah, 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 yeah. you may not know what you're looking at, or you may look mm -hmm. at it and be like, I don't, I don't like it. And I don't know why. And that's where you have a coach or teacher who says, I can tell you why, and here's how to work on it. Right. So the feedback, like you said, can be supportive and helpful. Right. Um, speaking of teachers, coaches, being supportive, getting feedback, We've gotten to this point where we are competition oriented, we're competition driven. And while competition, being competition driven, like we said, can be a good thing because it can right. drive people to improve. Mm -hmm. Um, and it can engage people and keep them engaged in the community. It also has its downsides of affecting our, our identities, our self worth and mm -hmm. our evaluation of the worth of others in terms of social dancing. Mm -hmm. So the question becomes then, is there anything we can do about this? Like the frog has now been in the pot. It's been boiling. Mm -hmm. Is there anything we can do to now that we recognize what's been going on? Is there anything we can do to rein things in or, um, turn the tide or, you know, move the needle? I just, think just the world we live in. Well, I, I was going to say, I think part of the problem is the world that we live in. Like we have, we, we, live in a reality television based society where um you do what you have to do to get what you want like say it's like the like say the TV show survivor mm -hmm. or or then we talk about the TV show um like the kardashians they're consistently and constantly you know when even when they're talking to each other they're on their phones and you know doing selfies and it's very a self absorbed um kind of um mentality we're not a we're not a we're not a community-based society right now so mm. that tr that trickles down into our dance community which is supposed to be community-based and mm. it makes and it separates us and, and people become uh more self-centered and, and more self-absorbed and um i think we just need more people who aren't like that to help the community stay uh, focused and help us as individuals um, stay, you know, focused. I, I'm always preaching about staying connected and being connected with people and um, how much I hate texting and how much I prefer talking on the phone and mm -hmm. how much I prefer, you know, sometimes when I'm at a swing dance event, like sometimes I won't dance and I'll be like, Hey, let's go hang out in the corner. Let's talk a little bit. Let's, Let's connect a little bit. And I think if more of those things happen, I think then the dancing will reflect that. I think right now we just reflect what's going on in society right, uh, right now. And it just trickles down into our dance community. And that's unfortunate yeah. because we, I think part of what's good about having our dance community is to escape from all of those things that we have in society that we don't like. Mm -hmm. and that's it's why a, we come it's <clears throat> a dance community. The community right. piece, like it's social dancing. <laughs> right. It's not exactly. It's not like, you know, you came to a community that's social and now you're standing there on your phone. It's, it's, actually, it's hard for me to like understand because it's so, <laughs> it's so not part of my personality. Right. Um, you know, I've learned something from my ex-boyfriend, uh, that he used to tell me all the time. He's like, you need to put your phone on do not disturb. He goes, you cannot have your phone on 24 seven all day long. And he goes, you're always available to everybody. 
Right. And I was like, no, I know that, but it, I should be. He goes, no, 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 you have to understand something. If, if somebody really wants to speak with you, they'll, they'll pick up the phone or they'll, they'll call and talk to you. They'll make, they'll, they'll make a, a, you know, a connection when you're at an event instead of consistently trying to text you or, or all that stuff. Like sometimes like disconnect mm-hmm. from your, from your, you know, um, from your gadgets. And I was like, oh yeah. And, and now I've gotten into the habit of that, but sometimes now I miss, right. you know, calls and I'm like, oh my God, that's not a call I wanted to miss. So now yeah. I have to set myself like there are certain times during the day where I, you know, everything's on do not disturb. Like today, like at this time, I'm not on do not disturb because this is like, mm-hmm. you know, prime time. Right. Um, so, and I think it's also part of having a, a, a making a conscious decision, making a conscious decision. What's important to you? Mm-hmm. What's important to you when you're in the dance community? I know what's important to me. It's important to connect with my friends. That's really important to me. Um, and it's also important to, teach a great workshop and, you know, have great private lessons. But most important is to connect with everybody. That's what I look forward to when I go to swing. Look, I just got a text message earlier from, you know, Courtney and Courtney and I are very close friends. And we text each other and say, oh, my God, can't wait to connect with you this weekend at Swing Hoover. That's the words we use all the time. Mm-hmm. Can't wait to hug you. Can't wait to love on you. Can't wait to see mm-hmm. you. Can't wait to talk to you. Not can't wait to text each other once we get there. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. So I think we need to change the, the dynamics of how we do things. And, and, and if you change it in life, it'll trickle down into the dance, I think. Yeah. When I think about our community and what you're talking about is really values, right? What do we value? Yeah. Right. And valuing the social aspect of the dance, valuing people, valuing connection, irrespective of how they do in competition. Right. Right. Um, because I think people are like, yeah, I want to connect with my friends who are also high level dancers. You know, it's, yes, um, right. it's, it's values. And when I think about, mm-hmm. you know, all that I've learned in organization development about culture and culture change, um, yes, certainly our, our broader context matters. So the fact that mm-hmm. we are living in a more kind of egocentric world, yes. um, a more entitled world, a more selfish world, um, right now, a less communal society. Uh, or collective the era of decadence. That's what we're in. Yeah. And it's the, the social media world right now mm-hmm. um, where we compare ourselves to other people and where we, you know, try to brag and put on a good face or whatever it is in the social media world. Um, and yeah, obviously that affects our community as at large, right? Those values sure. trickle in. And at the same time, we can also foster a community with values that, that either override that or counter that in some way. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I think about doing that, you know, certainly you and your peers at the top, like leadership matters. So mm-hmm. your, your peers at the top when in, uh, you and, and several of your champion peers have been doing this in workshops, going in and talking about the importance of connection and, yes. um, and, and partnership, which is great from a dance perspective. But again, like if you go into an advanced all-star workshop and you say, yeah, connect with your partner, it doesn't override the, well, I don't want to dance with a novice dancer. Again. So right? that's a character. That's a character flaw that to me, that's a character flaw. What do you mean? You don't want to, you don't want to dance with a novice dancer. Does that mean you don't want to talk to a novice dancer either? Because that's the only way you're going to get good at dancing with people right. is connecting with them off the dance floor before you get on the dance floor. And that snobby attitude is not going to get you anywhere. And those are the people that I don't want in 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 my class or in the dance community right. because you, then you 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 negate the word community. Yes, I think the flip side of that is when people say, "Well, I want to dance with 
higher level dancers. So it's not that they don't want to not dance with beginners, but everybody wants to dance with somebody better, right? That's like kind of our instinct. And listen, if you just go out social dancing and you ask tons of people to dance, chances are you're going to dance with all different levels of dancers. Right. But I think what you're saying needs to be promoted of go and ask all different kinds of people. I tell all the time in my classes. Well, I know you do. I'm just saying a lot of times the workshops we focus on focus on the dance and, Mm -hmm. you know, not everybody talks about how to foster broader values for our community. And it does take leadership. I mean, I'm very mindful of it in my own community of, you know, at the local level. And I think a lot of, from the people I've spoken to, a lot of people who do run local communities are very mindful of it because, Mm. well, quite frankly, like our community lives or dies by whether we actually have a sense of community, right? If people don't feel a sense of community, they don't come back. Um, So our business depends on it, right? right. Um, But I think a lot of, a lot of local communities also promote competition and focus Mm -hmm. on competition and like a drive to compete. And I think we need to be mindful as community leaders at, at both the, the broader national international level, as well as the local level of what values are we putting forth and how do we reinforce that in our classes? How do we reinforce that when we're coaching and our conversations, how do we model that behavior? Like you're great at modeling it. You talk about it all the time. You talk about Mm -hmm. it in your classes. Um, you exemplify it like you and I, talk way more than we dance. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you, you spend a lot of time, you carve that out. And I think, um, not to say that there aren't people doing this, but I think we need a more concerted effort to yeah, counter I, the prevalence of competition and competitive values. Right. I think what's also been good for us, but it has also fostered this type of behavior of being, you know, um, like this hierarchical system or, uh, where, you know, I don't want to dance with you because you're a novice is, you know, leveled workshops and leveled Mm -hmm. workshops are fantastic for learning purposes so that everyone in the class is at the same level. Mm -hmm. That's what it's meant for. Right. But once that class is over, that means the class is over. And I think what happens is people walk out of that class and they trickle that mentality of, well, I'm level four, so I'm only going to dance with level four people. And no, the leveled workshops are meant for learning purposes only. Right. And we, and I know that in a lot of level workshops, a lot of the professionals say, don't forget to ask people that aren't at your level to mm-hmm. dance. And don't forget, you know, the leveled workshops are just meant for learning purposes. That's it. Right. Well, not two, meant to separate us. And two things on that. One, ideally what you're learning and like, as you get better, the more people you should be able to dance with. Correct. Right. And yeah. two, I know there are certain events that for their own purposes, I get it like to know whether somebody belongs in that room or not. They have different colored bands. Yeah. And turn I have over. Heard, I tell them to turn them over. Yeah. Well, I have heard several people tell me so they're like, I, people won't dance with me because of the color of my band. Yep. I'm like, that's obscene. No, I know it's terrible. The better you are people, the more you, more people you should be able to dance with. And, and the better you are, the less snobby you should be. Yes. Which is, by the way, I think a whole separate topic we should talk about, which is, um, because we touched upon it. We touched upon it, I think with Tom and talking about entitlement, but it's, it's something that comes up in a lot of conversations I have with other dancers at events is, um, yeah, kind of what is the role or responsibility of higher level dancers to -hmm. dance with people? You know, people want, we talked about like people wanting more access to higher level dancers or champions. Mm -hmm. 
Um, mm-hmm. To me, that's like a whole other topic that we should address. But I agree with you. Like, if you're a top dancer, you should be able to make it work with everybody and you yes. should enjoy dancing with everybody. Yes. Like, your skill set allows you to dance with more people. A novice person has a harder time dancing with yes. everybody. Unless um, it's a novice follower dancing with a higher right level, right? Because right. a but, novice, right. Or even a novice um, uh, leader dancing with a follower, like that follower should be able to help make it work, right? Whoever's, yeah. we always talk about the better, the quote unquote better dancer should be the one to help make it work yeah, because they have the skill set. Right. I agree with that statement. Um, and I'm not sure. I, I feel like all of this started um, because of leveled workshops. It was one of the catalysts that made us be separatists as far as, Oh no, I can't dance with you because I'm in level such and such. I think that's part of it for sure. Yeah. I do think the competition alone is sufficient to, to create that. Yeah. But we've had competition around for a long time and it's never, I I don't feel it's separated us as much as leveled workshops have. I mean, I've heard stories where people audition for level workshops and they don't get into the level they want and they have a separate room for people to go cry in. I mean, that's absurd. Like, are you serious? Are you crying because you didn't get into the level that you wanted? Let me just tell you something that there are people that are dying in the world. There are people that can't pay their bills and so on and so forth. And you're crying because you didn't get into the level that you wanted for workshops. I can't. It's, it's absurd. (laughs) Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's outrageous. I feel like even before there were leveled workshops, though, I started seeing the, the separation. And, the, and maybe, but I'm, because I'm, the leveled workshops weren't around in the States for a long time. No, but I'm thinking maybe the leveled workshops, uh, you know, enforced. Sure, sure. I might have reinforced it. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Um, because I feel like I've just seen, you know, we used to call it, and I'll have to bleep this out, but we used to call it star Yes. Right? And people yeah. would would worship like champions and high level dancers, and those people were worshipped because they were successful in competition. Or they're just like they're like uh, what are those called? Um, what are they called when you follow a group around because you just love the group? A groupie. A groupie. <laughs> yes, exactly. Or, or at an extreme, a sycophant. Um, a sycophant. We had right. some of those. Right. Sycophant, succubus. Yeah, but those yeah. people were worshipped because they were successful in competition. Right. Um, and I feel like we had that culture to begin with, right? Like mm-hmm. Jordan and Tatiana are celebrities in our world. Um, you yes, know, they are. I, I, and like Benji, right? Like Benji was on yes. So You Think You Can Dance. And like, yes, mm-hmm. they're amazing. Absolutely. And are they great people? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Are they worthy right. of praise? Of course. But I oft, often tell my students because they're like, oh my God, I don't know if I can like go up to Jordan. I'm like, you know. Just go say hi. He's a human. When he goes to get a cup of coffee, he's just like everybody else. Right, of course. When he gets on a plane, okay, sure, he's in first class because he flies a lot. But it's not like (laughs) people on the plane are like, oh, my God, Jordan Frisbee's on the plane. You know, like, he's a human being and he's a nice guy and, like, go talk to him. Um, You know, same with Benji or any of these. But there is a a celebrity culture that we have in our but community. But I think they put, they, I think the community does that. I don't right. think that's what the I'm professionals saying. walk around like, you know, no, don't no, no. come talk to me. No, no, no. Because we don't do that. No, I'm just saying that in the absence of like leveled workshops, we've gotcha. always had this, uh, I won't say obsession, but like we've always had this culture where we... Um, put you on a pedestal. Yeah, if you are successful in competition. Yeah, okay. Um, I get it. And, you know, it was funny. It was like, I've had conversations with people where it's like, it's better to win a novice than lose an intermediate because right. when you win a novice, right? Like people see you and they like, Oh my God, congratulations. Like mm-hmm. we have a culture where that's a thing as opposed to going intermediate and like do your dance. Like it doesn't matter. Like, I don't care. You were an intermediate. Cool. 
you know, mm-hmm. um, we have a culture where it's better to succeed than not and in competition. And I think we need yeah. to do more as, as leaders, as uh, community leaders, as teachers, as coaches to help people set expectations. And, and remember, like you said, and you've talked mm-hmm. about it on this show several times of what's important, like we're right. people, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Everybody and John Linder talked about this too, which I thought was great. Where he's like, having non dance friends was great because he's like, I just went to this event and I did really well. And they're like, cool, where are we going for dinner? Like, right, <laughs> right, good like, for you, Johnny. Let's go her. have a drink, you know, like, right. yeah, bring keep you grounded. Um, and I think you know, I, that's true for my dance, my non dance friends too, you know, like, I never talk about dance with my non dance friends. Yeah, my best friend is a is a is a doctor, and like her wife is a doctor, and I go see their kids, and it's like, yeah, they'll ask me how dance is going. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, they're more important right. things, you know. Right. My non dance friends will ask, how's the dance going, whatever, and well, do do but usually I'm like, I don't want to talk about that. Right. I want to talk. How are you doing? What's going on? Blah blah blah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and and, and let's recognize too that like, you know, competition is is a good thing in 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 a respect that it. It hones a different skill set. It mm-hmm. teaches you to have a goal. Um, it's just don't run your life by it or, you, right. or your dance life by it. It's just right. one thing of the many things that we do in our community. Correct. You know? Correct. I mean, I remember when I first started in West Coast Swing, I really, literally, and I was competing uh, with Robert. And I, and, I, and I think part of it was because he was such – a competitive person that was, and that was so not my nature, even though I grew up in, in a dance venue where I used to do solos, duos, mm-hmm. trios, United States tournament of dance headliners. I would compete all the time, mm-hmm. but my competition mentality was always like, all right, I'm going to go out. I'm going to be great. I'm going to have a good time. And whatever happens, happens, you know, cause I was the only thing I could control was myself. And I remember, you know, going into competition with Robert cause he was so competitive that it got, it got me to the point where when we didn't do well, or if I didn't do well, that literally I would cry. Mm-hmm. He put me in that, that, that state of mind. And I was right. like, and, and at one point I was like, this is crazy mm-hmm. that I am crying for, you know, and it took me a while to get out of that mentality. And what helped me get out of that mentality was recognizing that uh, these seven people are deciding if I'm a good dancer or not. Right. I've been dancing since I'm three. I'm trained. Right. You don't get to tell me if I'm good or not. Mm-hmm. I know I'm good. I work to be good. So mm-hmm. I let, and then I finally let that go. And now, like when I place or don't place, like sometimes people come up and be like, God, you should have won that. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I'm used to it. It is what it is. Yeah. You win yeah. some, you lose some. Yeah. And we talked about the importance of uh, perspective and self-management with Divi and our episode mm-hmm. of mental health. And yeah, like for me, a lot of keeping perspective is having things outside of dance that matter. Right. Right. I think when I watch students or other people who get really wrapped up in the competition, I feel like they have a job that they maybe care about, maybe not. And then they go and dance. Like dance is, is everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's their priority. Like they obsess about it. And I get it. I get the passion. I get the obsession. Been there, done that. Um it's just, it's really important to remember that there are other things out there. Like, like dance should be for, check. yeah, dance should be for fun. It should be, yeah. uh, you know, pleasurable thing. Um, right. yes. If you're really dedicated to it, like that's how you, in order to get better, you have to put in the work, you have to be dedicated to it, but it's not the only thing in the world. 
No, and and, and and honestly, like most of the people that get like really upset about or I see them crying, like I, w- I will definitely go console them. I'm the first one, like, come over here, let me help you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But like I, I say to them, let's put things into perspective. This isn't even your living. Right. Like I do this for a living and competition is part of how I make my income. Mm-hmm. And if I don't place – that I don't make money. Right. So if anybody should be crying, it should be me. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, and you're 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 crying because like, you know, you didn't make the final or you know, you didn't place the top five. Okay, really? Yeah. Yeah. It's just it let's put things into perspective, people. Yeah. Absolutely. You know? Well, I thought this was a a good conversation about me competition too. in that we talked about a lot of different things that I don't think we've really directly touched upon in our other episodes, yeah. but it's a lot of the stuff that I end up talking about with people when I'm at events or when I'm talking with students. Um, yeah. I think understanding the nature of competition, yes, there are benefits, um, but also there are other things that are important. Um, understanding how competitions work and what expectations are. Mm-hmm. It's just really important for, for keeping a healthy attitude about competition and keeping it in perspective. Right. And listen, if you ever feel like I'm talking to the audience right now, if you ever feel down on yourself and perspectives are getting a little bit out of whack, come talk to me and I will set you straight and you'll feel good. <laughs> you'll feel good about dancing again after we have a talk. But first and foremost, you'll feel good about yourself. And that's what you need to feel good about is you. Yes. And hopefully this is something you do that does make you feel good about yourself. And right. if it doesn't, then there are people like Deborah and others who can help you do that. Yes. So. Come to me. Absolutely. Cool. It's a great chat. If you want to share your thoughts and reactions with us about this conversation, go ahead and post a comment on our website or respond to our post on Facebook, or go ahead and share your thoughts in our discussion group on Facebook. It's gotten a little quiet since New Year's, so thanks yeah, to wake up to, people. Yeah, it's time to get more conversation going on. You can also email Deborah and me through our site at thenakedtruthwcs.com or through our Facebook page, and we appreciate the messages we have been getting. It's great to hear from you. To get the latest news and hear from us, you can like our page on Facebook, subscribe to our newsletter, or follow us on Instagram, or be like Victor Levera, who just followed us on Twitter. Thanks, Victor. Um, also, don't forget that we are doing a live recording of our show at Swingcouver on Saturday, January 26th at 8 p.m. More details can be found at our website, thenakedtruthwcs.com slash live. We hope to see you there. And of course, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and a number of other podcast hosting platforms. And of course, if you enjoy this episode, don't forget to give us a review on Facebook and over on iTunes. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Eric. And I'm Deborah. And And that's that's The Naked Naked Truth. Truth. Well, hello. (laughs) Well, hello. Welcome to the Naked Truth. We'll talk about very real, very naked. (laughs) (laughs) We should do that.